Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Ball Film Podcast. This week, I have Ball Games Editor and uh, Warthog, uh, Warthog po- Podcast Hoster. <laughs> I'll try and say that correctly. Uh, Oliver Barsby with me today. How are you, Ollie? I'm doing great. Um, yes, yeah, been a nice week. Played some nice games. Um, enjoying a bit been, of lockdown. What have you been playing? Uh, so I've been playing Ghost of Tsushima, actually, these past few days. Um, it's a new game from out, Sucker right? Punch. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, I'm enjoying it quite a lot so far, but at the moment, I'm kind of in a rut in terms of games because I've got sort of a post The Last of Us 2 feelings of where no other game kind of like can compete <laughs> so i'm kind of like oh mm. it's good but an interesting opinion this. an interesting yes. opinion um aside from that i've been playing some call of duty warzone with my friends um, oh you know, warzone. so i've been game. playing i've been playing this a lot with my mate as well uh, how many wins have you got on warzone i think we've, the, we've got zero we've oh. got zero between <laughs> us we're getting better but it turns it just does divulge down into arguments between us at times Honestly. it's just like <laughs> loads bickering. yeah we do to be honest with you our firefighting ability is always what kills us but our highest is second once but that was mainly because we lucked out with the zone when we just hid in a canyon yeah i mean our first win on warzone was um when we literally landed somewhere uh, it was near Boneyard, and then it, we just stayed in the same place for the whole match, sniping, and then it ended on us, and everyone had to come to us, and we just killed them. Yeah, um, I think it's it's probably for the best for the boar's integrity that the games editor has got a lot more wins in Warzone <laughs> than the film editor. Yes. I can, um, I can rest easily knowing I'm the best <laughs> player in the ball, I think. So, I um, weren't you saying that you were going to do some streaming of that at some point? I think you and Tom? Yeah, I think we're talking about it. Um, we'll have to sort of see how it goes, obviously, with the social side of things. And yeah. hopefully, or just some gameplay footage, at least, definitely, yes. Look, if you need an absolute burden on your team to try and make some, it interesting. Someone to make us to make everyone else look better yeah like then feel free to hit me Actually, up me and tom play, we did play a practice game um tom the social secretary of the ball and we actually won <laughs> so you won yeah well, we won the just, first game we played you guys win all the time then it's just going to be boring <laughs> to watch i think you... you know i think it's because um i don't know skill-based matchmaking has a kind of issue so it was tom's first game so i just sort of carried him oh okay lovely well you know, hopefully one day I'll get good and um, <laughs> maybe I'll win. Uh, it might be something that I have to update the podcast about every week, even though I'm not sure how big the intersection between people who <laughs> listen to this podcast and people who care about my Warzone victories, if any of them are. I think it's very high. So um, how is your work with um, Board Games and the Warthog going at the moment then? Um, it's going really well. I'm enjoying sort of putting out games content um you know and uploading articles editing articles i think my life is now just consumed by video games in a kind of way in a good way of course because i've got an internship writing about games at the moment so i do that clock off at the end of the day play some Warzone, and then edit articles and then on fridays me and hamish um the other side of the warthog podcast also record our podcast uh so we did it yesterday it should be coming up tomorrow or today what's that going to be about do we get a do we get a Uh, little little hint um it's about xbox because their event is coming up next week oh so we're talking all about the xbox um so it's been going well Uh, i'm really enjoying just you know having a good time editing articles laughing 
um, some reactions which people <laughs> do to the articles. Uh, a few comments I've had here and there were quite fun to see. Um, but it's been you great. guys actually get comments on your articles because I've had none not, on not on the articles themselves. Occasionally, oh, okay. I'll get a comment on the uh, Twitter post, or someone will message me about the article. Well, look, I, I, well, if if anyone follows either mine or Ollie's Twitter, there is sometimes where I will just like rib Ollie about the uh, Last of Us Part Two. Yeah, I think I've stopped stopped replying to it now seriously i just i think I've i just stopped, now yeah. with just play the game yeah, yeah i think that's the best way to actually reply to it because i've not played the game so to be honest with you my my level of my ability my qualifications for talking about the game are fairly minimal yeah at the same time i just it's one of those things that i don't want to buy because of the whole controversies around it and i think i just really don't like neil Druckmann as a person and the way why? he carries himself why because he seems he like um so, of course, the film and games industries both have their fair share of very pretentious artists, right? Um, as mm, you'd expect from any, from any medium. Any creative sort of uh, medium. Yeah, basically. But the thing is, the story that I've heard um, around why there was... So, crunch is a big issue that's being covered in games media at the moment. Jason Schreier from Bloomberg News is doing a really good kind of job of um, covering that and then gets given a load of flack for it by the people who are doing the abusive stuff or the alleged abusive stuff. Um, well, I, I say alleged because I suppose I don't want to get sued. Uh, and at the same time, <laughs> I suppose, you know, the evidence might be pretty stacked against the people being accused, but there is that slim chance that, you know, maybe everyone who came out and talked about it from Rockstar like. North, Naughty Dog and everyone else were just lying for clout. But somehow I don't see that. Um, for the fact that there's that whole like abusive crunch culture where people are asked to really overwork themselves at the end of um, the development cycle before the game comes out and they're not paid much overtime for it and even though they're not quote <laughs> they're not forced to no one puts a gun to their head it is kind of very it's implicit a, it's a culture it's crunching culture. yes yeah. yeah well it's it's very implicit and it's like um you know uh it's they're made very aware that look if you're not going to do this we can get someone a younger di a developer more naive who's mainly in it for experience rather than good pay and just pay them less and then they can do the job for you um at the exact same time instead which is a really like unhealthy environment as well and i suppose couple that with the sexual harassment allegations and misconduct allegations that have come out a num against a number of games companies recently and it's kind of like me too for the games industry at the moment yeah none of the allegations were against um neil Durkin, the no they weren't um, so yes that, yeah. yes yeah i should clarify that as well so um there are no sexual misconduct allegations against neil Druckmann um as of now uh, but the thing is with the entertainment industries is that I've kind of given up hope of um you know like you anyone at this point could be um, exposed, which is a bit of a shame to think about mm. that it seems so embedded in the culture in some places. But um, regardless, because of that, because of how that happened at Naughty Dog, the reason it allegedly happened was because Neil Druckmann wrote a bunch of characters and then no one liked them when they were focus tested. So he had to completely rewrite it. Uh, which doesn't stink of an artist to me. It just stinks of someone who's a businessman. I'm happy to call Neil Druckmann a businessman. I'm not happy to call him an artist. Well, it's, it's I guess it's different. It depends on how you sort of view games as a product. Do you, because 
Yes, I think, well, yeah, I think it's the same with films as well. Do you, yeah. um, because there are different purposes to them. Like some of them you have as just um, someone's making them as a means of entertainment, right? Um, you know, something that doesn't necessarily point outside of itself and has kind of this deeper message underlying throughout that's going on with it. Um, you know, kind of like a standard action affair film will have something like that. It's just there to try and be a bit of fun, right? And, you know, there's there's nothing wrong with making something like that, I think. Um, and with games, when you think of multiplayer games like Fortnite and Call of Duty Warzone and things like that, you know, they're really good fun, but they're not sat there trying to, you know, point outside of themselves to some kind of greater message, right? So I suppose the thing as well from what I've seen with The Last of Us 1 well, from what I've played of The Last of Us 1, which is the entire game, and from what I've seen of The Last of Us 2 and what I've heard from your and other people's comments on it, is it seems very much like the gameplay is completely kind of, is still standard action affair. And the, the second one I hear is actually really good fun. I remember you saying about The it, second it game, fun. yeah, in terms of gameplay, uh, if you go back to the first game after playing the second one, you will just think it's so bad. The first, the first um, game's gameplay is just, I think it's the same with the Uncharted games where it's just kind of standard. It's not really pushing the envelope. Mm. In, in the any, first one, it's much better survival horror gameplay. Um, the AI right. is actually semi-decent, um, which is an achievement for any game, to be honest, really. Yeah. Um, the infected are much better. There's much more of a variety and there's so much like customization options for how hard you want to play the game. And it's, um, got the best accessibility features of any game I've ever seen. Uh, is that you play yeah. this blind as a blind person? Yeah. Um. So that's the that's the second game, right? That we're yeah, the second about. game. Yeah, which I'm talking that's, about. That's yeah. The the accessibility stuff that I've seen as well, because I've heard that before. It's also it, that's really encouraging. It's really nice to think that um, you know, uh, making these games well, yeah, making these games accessible where we can is um something that these companies are thinking about. Um. But the thing is, is that with having gameplay that doesn't really do anything different or to kind of create an effect of making you feel more bloodthirsty or um, lustful for revenge or any of the themes that the game's trying to point out, having it be kind of standard action affair seems to me like, um, you know, imagine if Mad Max Fury wrote, well, actually, that's a bad example. If something like, uh, that one's actually a very good action film. If something like... Um, I don't know if well if think of your favorite just kind of standard popcorn action film if some if something did the exact same kind of popcorn action thing but then pretended to be some major work of art I'd also just think it was a bit pretentious as well but I will probably get round to playing The Last of Us Part Two at some point um, but I yeah I don't want to pay for it is the main issue I think well I'd say as well paying for it um, obviously you want to. Uh, I'm not the developers. At least I'm not going to admit to pirating it. Uh, you well, know, I don't think it's quite hard to pirate it. on a PlayStation Four. Anyway, that, that as well. Yeah, I'm um, not a master. Don't hacker. know whether you can. Uh, yeah, but I think as well, you know, people refusing to. Well, if you say you don't want to buy the game, of course you got to remember lots of that money will go to the developers as well. And if games don't sell as well, it won't be Neil Druckmann who is uh, laid off. It will be the developers. This is this is also true, I suppose. <laughs> uh yeah but also the fact that it's just a major time sink as well like i've i've heard numbers in the region of 25 hours how long yeah, did it take you to 25 hours um i fully explored it as in went through every uh, okay. cranny searching for clubs. all right you could probably do it in 20 hours um because of obvious sort of reasons as to how the game is set out yeah 
Uh, it's basically two games in one, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So from what I've heard, that's certainly the case as well. But I imagine we'll, yeah. So, of course, um, that has been a rather long kind of introduction as to talking about um, The Last of Us 2. So I suppose uh, for, for any of our film fans who are also game fans, we're making as much use out of this intersection as we can for you, lovely lot. <laughs> Um, so, Ollie, is there a film that you've seen either this week or or last week that you want to um, you want to talk about? Yeah, I recently rewatched Spider Man Into the Spider Verse, uh, yep. the animated Sony film featuring Miles Morales as Spider Man, and I think everyone who has seen this film will absolutely love it. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Um, but I just think as well from rewatching it, it makes me incredibly excited for the upcoming Spider-Man Miles Morales game. Yeah, um, I've been playing the, um, the, the PS4 Spider-Man game because um, my mate lent it to me. And I think it's, it's really impressive as, a, um, as superhero action as a game. I think it's kind of like, it's probably, if you were doing a sandbox Spider-Man game, it's probably like the best result you could yeah, come out there's, with. There's not much you can yeah. criticize in terms of the gameplay aspects of and, how sort of fun it is to play. Yeah, uh, it made me... So Spider-Man as a character, as a superhero, I've never been as much of a fan of him as I have of DC heroes. I think, well, I I don't know why I say I think. Um, I know that Batman's my favorite hero. Like, <laughs> of course he is. He's number one, probably like far and away out of any kind of superhero character, my favorite. Um, there's so much that you can kind of do with him as a character. Um, but the thing that I that I love about Spider-Man films and I think are the best parts of Spider-Man films are when he's saving people because I think it really brings out kind of, you know, he's this young man who he's very hopeful and wants the best for the world. I think it's at his best when, you know, you can see that he's just trying his desperate hardest to um, to save people. The train scene in Spider-Man 2 after the fight with Dr. Octopus. The the boat sequence in Spider-Man Homecoming. I didn't like that film particularly much, but that sequence did stand out as well. And the Washington Monument sequence as well, yeah, saving the people really, in the lift, was also really, really, good. really good. I can't think of many sequences in either The Amazing Spider-Man 1 or 2 where um, where there was much saving people going on, but those are both incredibly forgettable films yeah it's been a while since i watched andrew garfield plays spider-man there's there's just nothing really to be earned from from watching those films (laughs) i think the second one ironically probably there's more to gain from watching it because you can just see how much of a complete mess it is the first one's just kind of mediocre it's just kind of nothing okay is that okay cool yeah yeah well done and uh, dr connors has that big plan to turn everyone into lizard people <laughs> Lizard people and you just I, I i know the only thing i can remember from that film really is that the bad guy the guy the actor who plays him i can't remember his name but he looks a little bit like stephen merchant but he's not stephen <laughs> merchant um i yeah. remember if it was stephen merchant um because he 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 was born and raised in bristol and also went to warwick <laughs> so there's a scary scary parallel there um but and but he was in logan though as superhero appearances from stephen merchant go and he was really good in logan he was so good well, enough to him. i love logan it's a great with film. regards to spider-man into the spider-verse then um what do you think with regards to kind of its uh visual style because I always found that really interesting compared yeah, the, to other superhero films. You, you think about the sort of how much and work and detail. Films, yeah. 
yeah, how much work and detail must have gone into the animation style. I mean, it's just the opening sequence of Miles listening to uh, music and you can just see how much time and effort that the animation sort of team must have put into make this work. Because it's, it's animated, but in a very different way to anything I think we've seen before. Because it sort of mixes the 3D animation style you might see in the sort of traditional Disney Pixar films with some of the more cartoony elements of the past superhero animated series uh, and yeah, combines um, them in a yeah, way definitely. yeah you keep going i was just i was probably oh it's because yeah, yeah. Uh, combines them in a way whilst also putting its own like unique twist on it with its own style and own aesthetics i think yeah. it's just perfect i remember it feeling very comic booky which is exactly you know what yeah. you want it to feel like right um it's just a really good story and the action in it's very good as well the one criticism I have on it of it is that I didn't like the post credit scene because it seemed to just undermine the entire story. I can't it, remember. What was the post credit scene? So I think the post credit scene, or is it like right at the end credits where um, is it uh, Spider-Gwen manages to find a portal to talk to Miles again? And then I thought, wait, hang on a second. Wasn't that, wasn't the whole point of this film was that you couldn't do that. You couldn't open the portals because mm. it would collapse everything. <laughs> but, but Kingpin's trying to do it anyway. I loved Kingpin in the film. He with his little tiny head and a big yeah, he's body. He's just massive. Yeah. <laughs> he's an absolute unit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, completely. <laughs> it's just not someone I want to see in an alleyway. Something I loved as well was um, the characters of like the whole teams of Spider-Man. And I think as a family film, it's really clever that they've got kind of this family of um, spider characters around to, you know, um, to kind of represent, well, each kind of represent an element of a family unit. I suppose there's no real spider mother there. There's kind of like spider older sister really, but um, well, there's some romantic interest there. So let's not look into that too much. (laughs) But regardless from that, yeah, I think it's I think it's certainly one of the better animated films to come out recently, and I think it's no coincidence yeah. that the Lego Movie people were the people who um, who made it. Was it? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I Phil Lord and Kristen Miller. Nice. Yeah, equally great film. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, so what I've watched this week is so um, I've been gardening quite a bit, so like I just didn't feel at the level to watch something that I thought was going to. <laughs> be particularly challenging so i watched speed uh and and speed is actually really good i didn't expect it to be as good as it was i thought it'd kind of Mm. be standard action affair you know the type that we were talking about earlier so the plot of speed is 19 it's mid 90s keanu reeves it came out in 94 and he's playing a cop who managed to thwart um uh dennis hopper's character who plays this um this bomber uh, he managed to thwart yeah. his plans once when he put a bomb in a lift. And so uh, he, he puts a bomb on the bus and this bomb will be armed when the bus goes over 50 miles an hour. And then once the bus slows below 50 miles an hour, the bomb will blow up. So that's the whole plot there is um, <laughs> effectively they're trying to keep the bus above 50 miles an hour. And it sounds absolutely ridiculous as a premise. And it kind of is absolutely ridiculous as a premise, but it's actually really good. Um, mm. It does sound good. I- yeah, the tension's all there. Um, I, it's something that I find with... So when you've got high-speed action chases, like in this and the Mad Max films, when the whole film kind of predicates its action around it, it is just really tense having these high-speed chases. Um, yeah. 
going around the place and uh, especially i thought it was really masterful the the way it kind of escalates with the bus and, and how the how it all moves forward um the conflicts that happen at various times the obstacles they have to overcome and the action as well was all just very well directed and the score was actually um surprisingly good as well i thought it was just kind of be i thought it was going to be kind of forgettable in, in instead but no, um, it was actually pretty good. I then also watched um, Casablanca as well. And I think the reason I bring this up well, specifically with the games editor is mainly because I think it suffers from what quite a few narrative games suffer from today, Mm -hmm. which of course it was made in the 1940s and filmmaking was just not um, as developed as it was now, clearly, because we've had 70 years, (laughs) well, 75 years on Casablanca so if there had been no forward developments made, then that would be really worrying. Um, yeah. But it it just kind of felt to me, like it's a really good story and the characters are all very well written. It just felt to me that there was nothing stopping it from just being a radio play or just a play. Um, because editing-wise and cinematography-wise, like there are a couple of nice shots, but there was nothing really technical being done to kind of blow you away or add much meaning to the, the affairs of what was going on. In the same way that games these days, I think some of them story-wise don't use enough of the fact that they are games and it's people interacting with them. So David Cage games, for example, when he's just seemingly trying to make them films as much as possible. Like if I wanted to watch a film, I'd put a film on it's just kind of simple as that like when you're just pressing when you're david pressing, cage like, films of david cage games david of, cage films yeah, they, you said david cage films you know exactly yeah, what i david mean david cage they, they i mean it's it's kind of like though those type of games have basically made their own genre of entertainment in the fact that like netflix are now making similar things so there was the um, was yeah it? i'm Black not Mirror, sure yeah Black yeah, yeah Bandersnatch, the Kimmy Schmidt yeah. uh, TV film. I that didn't realise that that TV film also did it. But at the same time, yeah. I, I, I'm not sure how I feel about that. <laughs> I think if someone comes and makes an effective story using it... it was, it's, yeah, that, that's I would say, because you see these TV um, shows using it, or the films, or even films using it, and you just look and you look, and I don't think it's utilised very well. Um, yeah compared to how it's used in games. And I'm not sure if it's because it's a game as a medium or whether it's uh, like, you know, they games are so used to having players make choices and impacting a game like this. I yeah. think the people behind these games know more about sort of, they've got experience working in games and have more idea of how to take these actions and choices compared to people who just sort of make, here's my story now consume it. Yeah. Um, I completely agree with you. Um, I think the thing is with when you go into a game as an audience, you're expecting to be in an interactive, like to be interacting and to be in an interactive medium. Whereas um, I think films and TV are kind of the, this only real medium apart from music where you're just passively taking stuff in instead. So um with you know with games and books instead you've got to be actively kind of reading and actively mm. participating in a game so i think that's why decision that's why games that are closer to films work better than films are that are trying to be games yeah because it's um, sort of you know it's yeah. it's more of a games type thing yeah the, completely the, right. tell, the telltale games kind of also made their big shtick off of this as well 
Mm. And um, I think the only the only real game of well, the two games um, that try and do this that I've liked and I've really enjoyed playing were um, Life is Strange and the other one, Heavy Rain. Heavy Rain I enjoyed a lot, but I okay. played it. I played it like five or six years ago. So if I played it today, I think, I well, I, yeah, I did try replaying it. I just got bored at the first bit. <laughs> uh, I just realized I had other things that I could play instead instead yeah. of replaying Heavy Rain and ruining the potential magic. Like Heavy Rain has its moments, definitely. Um, I think yeah. Whilst these games say they're replayable yeah. in different ways, they're you kind not. of just want to <laughs> you just want to play it once and have that experience. So yeah. the same happened to me with Detroit Become Human. Um, I tried getting enjoyed, into, yeah, I tried I getting it. into that one as well. Uh, I, I played a bit of it once and then I just couldn't be bothered again. I think I just yeah. Uh, if if I want to rewatch Blade Runner or rewatch Blade Runner, it's, it's it's kind of as simple as that. And um, I think Detroit Become Humans kind of doing this race analogy all throughout. I think is from what I've heard as saying like, oh look, we should be yes. treating people better. I think I think we've really kind of moved past sci-fi depicting race relations because there's not much more you can add to that conversation now. No, it's, yeah. it's the thing which I sort of well, not took away from this game, but after finishing it, which I was kind of a bit, hmm, okay, to David Cage about, was in interviews, he's strictly gone out and said, oh, I'm not trying to actually say anything in this game. It's just, I'm not, yes, I'm not actually... <laughs> yes, yeah, you are. Like, I'm, I'm not making any political statements. Don't worry. Please buy my game, all you people who don't care about politics. Yeah. It's like, okay, you literally at the end have a semi-concentration camp for the older robots. Please tell me you are not... <laughs> talking about <laughs> <laughs> I think the division two creative director tried to pull something yeah. similar and I think people who were actually thinking about what he said also had a similar reaction like yeah well you clearly are having trying to make some sort of political statement yeah. I don't know why you're being coy about it because they know that the alt-right gamers um <laughs> won't buy their games <laughs> The r slash gamers rise up community, yeah. I suppose, is is all the ones that really idolise the Joker movie, uh, which you know <laughs> they, ident- they have the Joker <laughs> picture as they um, some Steam ID, <laughs> <laughs> that classic stereotype, uh, talking about society and so forth. And to be honest with you, it's got to the point where that word's like whenever I hear it in an unironic context, I just well, can't the word, separate the word it. society. The word society, I just can't separate. Like, well, from- I think. The, the, the word stuff. gamer as well the word, the word gamer is absolutely that. It, that word is absolutely tainted and gaming as well it's something that whenever because of course is like for board gaming of course you've got to put that up but like because <laughs> that's what it is but i rarely use the like, word gamer in articles because i just i just don't like the word <laughs> yeah <laughs> but it's I love it because um, like these two words are completely normal to use in this context that there shouldn't be something <laughs> funny about these words, but there just is. These are just completely mundane words that have just been completely ruined for us by memes. I think half of the problem with the word gamer is that it's been sort of, you know, co-opted by the, the companies trying to appeal to young people by going, hey, gamers, want to buy my product? 
And it's like, oh, oh dear. You know, the Hello Fellow Kids type of meme. Yes, of course. Steve Buscemi. He's yes. an actor. We, we're getting back towards films. <laughs> back to films. Yeah. <laughs> the hot take I wanted to give for this week, though, is that I think Speed's a better film than Casablanca because Ooh. it does more with being a film. I, I, I looked on the back of the Casablanca DVD case and it said it was previously a play. So I'm glad that um, I've still got it with um, these film analytical skills that i've cultivated but um so that like you know if if you try and do casablanca on stage then you can do it really successfully if you try and drive a bus at 50 miles an hour but yeah like i'd love to see someone in the west end try and do like drive a bus at 50 miles an hour through the audience or something but something tells me that that just wouldn't be doable and also the action full recreation of speed in new york easy it's it's based in los angeles so um i suppose if you were to recreate it properly you'd want to do it there yeah um but yeah it's regardless like it, it would be the, the live show would <laughs> would be quite something with a live stunt performance um to be honest with you it probably gain more from being a play but uh <laughs> moving away from hypotheticals into the main topic of contra- conversation now um, we've got on so many tangents, Ollie, that I don't know how long this intro has actually been. Yeah, it's, but... it's, it's, it's been quite a long yeah. intro. If we can even you call know it what, like, look, yeah, we're not calling it an intro. We'll just... <laughs> what we're actually going to talk about today is fandoms and um, fan groups that gather around big pieces of media. If you think about Star Wars and Marvel, for example, in the film space, what inspired me um, to talk about this with Ollie was the fact that The Last of Us Part Two, which we mentioned earlier, has had quite a bit of, um, uh, like, I wouldn't call it controversy, because I think pretty much everyone admits that it's just not the right thing to do. Um, well, when the voice actor for one of the characters in the game, so Laura Bailey's the voice actor and um, Abby is the character, got sent abuse via Twitter from people unhappy with her character's actions in the game. So Ollie, would you like to talk us through this as this is your domain? Yeah. Um, I can give a massive spoiler warning for anyone who has not played the last of us two yet. Um, I'm, I'm assuming James, you know, already. What I, look, I've, I've read up on the last of us part two. Cause it's yeah. one of the, like, it's one of those things that I've appreciated. I don't think I'll ever get the last of us part two oh, as in understand so it, not, not as in get the game, oh, I think yeah. it, but uh, understand what makes it so brilliant. I've kind of thrown that out the door the idea that I'll, <laughs> uh, I'll probably play, enjoy I, it. I imagine I'll enjoy it like a bit, but I imagine mm. on my scale, it will probably be like a seven. Uh, I imagine it'll probably be a bit better than maybe The Last of Us Part 1. Well, mm. if we can call it The Last of Us Part 1 now. Yeah, I think actually, yeah. oh, I don't know, is it just called The Last of Us? Yeah, anyway. it'll probably be around there. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, big spoiler warning. So Laura Bailey plays Ashley. Uh, not Ashley, Abby, sorry. Abby is one of the playable characters in The Last of Us Part 2. Um, you play as her for the second half of the game. But the main sort of I would say controversy, but the main reason people have been attacking both the character and the voice actor is because within the first, I want to say, two or three hours of the game, Abby kills Joel, who was the protagonist of the first game, who you spend the whole game playing as. Um, Abby kills him with a baseball bat, quite, I want to say viciously, um, but for the last of us standards, you know, it's fairly standard. And then... You spend the whole game as Ellie trying to track down Abby um, to get your revenge. And then 
halfway through the game, um, the perspective flips and you play as Abby, um, who has her own storyline, which, in my opinion, is actually much better than Ellie's storyline in general. Well, that's um, that's actually, I suppose, you know, that might almost be as hard as saying speed's better than Casablanca there, because I know a lot of people say the opposite. <laughs> Lots of people don't like uh, Abby. That's, don't like it, yeah. yeah. So, I think, yeah. Yeah, so fandom-wise, effectively, what's being exhibited here is this kind of quite toxic behavior of um, the game didn't go how I wanted it to go as a fan. And there's kind of no, especially, I think this is probably the most extreme case I've seen of someone just who claims to be a fan, just clearly not understanding how a story should progress well because of the fact that Joel's actions in the first game like he was gonna get his comeuppance eventually. Like he wasn't a nice man. Exactly. There's a perception from quite a few The Last of Us fans who have sort of idolised the Joel and Ellie relationship. Yeah. Um, for the seven years because obviously the game's been <laughs> out for quite a while. So they've had this sort of idea in their head that oh Joel, he's such a good sort of father figure. He saves Ellie. And it's taking out of context Joel's actions in the first one where he does probably what is one of the worst acts in the last of us by killing the doctor who can make the vaccine to save ellie and essentially ending it's not saving it ellie be? it's saving no. it's saving the human race but the thing is is it's coming at the um the price of ellie's life so yeah he would save yeah. he saved ellie um but ellie would have died to create the vaccine and it was essentially whilst it was saving ellie it was also because he didn't want to be alone um, and he was afraid of losing anyone else is one yeah. perception, which I believe. Um, so yeah, yeah as you well, say, it's, it's, yeah, I suppose it's, it's kind of a mix of that and paternal love that he would have lost for yeah. um, his daughter at the start of the game who yeah. dies. Uh, and but, it is, it, it's yeah. into the second, into the second game when Joel died at the hands of Abby, who was the daughter of the um, surgeon who Joel killed. Yeah. Um, it It's, as you said, it's kind of, you can under if you like take this sounds away, like a good yeah. way to progress the story. If you take away all your biases and judgment of Joel as this amazing person, you can very much understand that. But Abby was fully justified in killing Joel. Is if as you play through that game as Abby, you will understand fully why she did what she did, and you will get to the ending when Ellie is wanting to kill Abby. And you, you won't want, and this is one thing which people have with the end as well. They don't like how it ends. So I personally like, didn't mind the ending, but for me, what I found was hard was I didn't want to play the ending. I didn't want to go and hunt down Abby again as Ellie because you progress through the game and you realize that what Abby did was justified and she is not a bad character, like everyone says. She is just as morally gray as Joel, as Ellie, and as everyone else in The Last of Us. But I can understand why people, you know, are upset that Joel died. That's how you're supposed to feel. You're supposed to be angry and upset and sort of hateful of Abby. But I think one problem is, if we go back to the fandoms, yeah, um, bring it back to what we're actually supposed really, to talk yeah, about. Yeah. <laughs> well, lots, of peop- yeah. <laughs> lots of people actually sort of played up to that bit where Joel died and then just, you know, stopped playing the game. People saw that 
and just stop threw the game the away day. or might have played a bit as early if they then... threw the game away then i'm i mean i'm gonna make a public announcement now if you can still find your copy then just contact <laughs> i've, me. I've seen lots of videos of people snapping their desks in half why after, would you oh my gosh after, <laughs> after i probably i probably tweet the bag and just be like i would have quite happily bought that off you <laughs> for a cut price <laughs> genuinely like snapping the disc in the rain i suppose this is another fandom thing of like it's, yeah i suppose even even we're talking about just like films and games here as a media perspective i suppose football as well football hooliganism <laughs> burning uh, the oh burning shirts, shirts when your player moves to a different team or something it's along those lines of like well what what have you proved here of destroying stuff that you've already bought is kind of like reverse looting in a way like why yeah it's it it doesn't affect anybody you've already bought the products the only thing it's yeah i don't understand why people did that but as well it's like when people go up to that bit you can understand i can understand why they're upset but so you know, if, I suppose as well with Last of Us Two fan hysteria, uh, there's also the trans character in The Last of Us Part Two as well. So, um, yeah, who, which 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 people because it was a trans character started just complaining about. Uh, yeah, well. you know, so it's, you it's a classic game. As I said, as well, yeah, yeah. classic um, gamers, classic, classic gamers, Joker, and, Steve yeah. There was a lot of transphobic, transphobic, and homophobic comments coming out about oh um the last of us part two um which unsurprisingly like you as someone who spends a lot of time reading comments about from the games industry well from the community sorry you know the industry yeah. um it did not surprise me um you know the trans representation i thought was done quite well i think there was issues um surrounding it sort of towards the dead naming particularly of Lev um, which yeah. uh, I can't talk about personally because obviously I'm not, I'm not trans um, but some people did say that it was kind of offensive for them or upsetting for them to hear which I can completely understand from yeah, their well, perspective I can understand it when you get the hope of like being represented and then yeah. it's, you're just kind of slapped instead um, yeah, I, suppose I think it was a bit one of thing, yeah. of Lev yeah, the one thing that I'd want to ask as well is, um, I suppose there are two sides to doing this. Like one, of course, the fandom who I think they kind of, it, having a fandom can in some ways pollute these social justice like questions of representations in both films and games. Because if you think about um, when uh, Kelly Marie Tran was in The Last Jedi um, yeah. for Star Wars, uh, well, she got bullied off of Twitter. So that was, you know, so let's not sit here and give the games community too harsh of a time because no, it's, it's the sort of communities yeah. can also like be completely backwards in their thinking as well. Yeah, I think the Star Wars culture is very similar to some fandoms in gaming as well. Um, yeah. sort of the, they, they tie in quite well. Yeah, so. um, because, well, I think it comes from this place of... Um, when when you're just like a cis male um and white and, and any other things that would put you in the you know in the powerful majority right um the thing is is that um you know you you just kind of come to these things for escapism and you've never had to live with that experience of just never being represented yeah um which i understand that you know these are still hopefully if it's a good piece of media right it'll be discussing universal themes that everyone can relate to but at the same time it doesn't hurt to uh 
to have these characters you know represented and have these no, demographics it doesn't represented. and i think that lev as a character he was not solely just a trans character you know yeah. um i think one thing which the last of us 2 does incredibly well for his character is that lev is not uh, as he runs away from the seraphites or the scars who are this sort of semi-religious cult type um of organization yeah you realize that he whilst he yes he has shunned them because they don't accept him for who he is he hasn't shunned his religion so he still talks about um the sort of culture and the religious side of the seraphites that he still believes in um and he sort of helps coach abby through some of her fears by using this religion and i think that one thing which you know is very rarely represented is that the fact that trans people um lgbt people can still be religious even while like getting rejected by these communities yeah, and i definitely. thought that was very powerful so that's that's one way that i think fandoms kind of you know come into it yeah. in the most powerful way it's kind of the the social justice questions that then blow up and then people just can't accept that what they may see as escapism you know is actually something that exists in the real world right and can say things about the real world i suppose if you're a fan of a specific character as well you know you want all the best for that character right um so I, maybe that's where the Joel things come comes from as well. Um, I suppose something that's also worth talking about with The Last of Us Part Two and also with reviewing in general is um, well how how it reflect, affects kind of people's expectations, how it affects reviewers mm-hmm. as well um, when it comes to actually having to review something like with well i suppose with the latest star wars and marvel films the way that my expectations always been affected by these questions it's always been that i always see kind of something having a massive fandom um as a challenge i remember going to watch la la land um Mm. for example which i suppose isn't so much a fandom but it's an example of what i'm talking about where uh, I saw the poster outside for it, which was just littered with five stars everywhere. And I was just like, oh, but is it really that good? Uh, I just kind of saw that as a bit of a challenge. And I suppose in the same way when fandoms kind of come out with, and like Marvel films are being given five stars. I remember the one quote that will stick out to me from when Infinity War first came out mm-hmm. was um, the MCU now has its own version of a Shakespearean tragedy. And you just think to yourself, are you really going to compare Thanos to like the the great um, Shakespearean villains just because he talks so much that he gets memed all the bloody time, doesn't he? It's like, um, there was the one review which compared the last of us to Schindler's list. That was really funny. In, <laughs> a, like, well, in a genre full of John Wick's, the last of us part two is Schindler's list. It's like, I get what you're trying to say, but maybe don't get compared to a film based on a historical event, which, you know, yeah, actually based on a really serious historical event. It's <laughs> the death of many, many people, maybe yeah. compared to a different. It's, sort it's of... quite exploitative in, in when you think of yes. it in that sense as well. But I think that's, that's how it's always affected my expectations when going into these things. What about, um, what about you when it comes to like reviewing games that you may not necessarily be part of a fandom of, but then. Um, I mean, I always try and take many reviews with a pinch of salt. You know, yeah. you, you'll look at these big outlets, which will put out reviews for every single game and you're like, okay, well there is a 
sort of big game bias um and i'm sure i assume it applies to films as well sort of the big films will always it won't be because they are paid off that no of course not but i think it's it's more implicit than that though surely because um yeah it's it's more just a these games are big there's sort of a idea of well i these it's so so popular it must be good or well if i give it a nicer review the pr might be a bit nicer to me might get a review early and then of course you know people have grown up with these franchises for so long uh the big games will always be the most popular they always want to review them and they will always get the people who know the most about these games to review them and by nature of that if you know a lot about something the chances are you know you're a fan if you try and find the person who knows the most about Star Wars are the most about Pokemon, the chances are they will be a huge fan of the game and so will be quite biased towards those games when they review them. Yeah, um, um, I suppose nostalgia is a, a really interesting kind of double-edged sword when it comes to these things because, hmm. and I suppose it, it's part of that kind of fandom package in general because um, it's it's nice that people get to enjoy something, right? Um, if If something, you know, makes you happy and you're not harming anyone else by doing it, then by all means, like, keep going, right? I'm not going to stop you. Um, but it gets to a point where um, nostalgia can quite easily blind you to something's quality. Um, yeah. Yeah, so... I, I think there's a lot of nostalgia. There's a lot of problems with nostalgia in general. I think one issue I have with nostalgia and, like, people being so nostalgic about certain franchises um whether star wars is a big one um as i said again pokemon these are two franchises where they've they essentially try and recreate old films or they have a lot of similar themes so you know um the sort of sequels to the star wars films had very trilogy yeah yeah, sequel trilogy had very striking similarities to the um originals the pokemon games have just quite a few of them were very very sort of had elements where it was just sort of winking at the fans and be like look this is like the first game please buy our copies um yeah. and i think it it's people will sort of lap that up in a way um but i think quite a lot of the time if you're just doing nostalgia bait and just saying hey isn't this cool we've brought back something from the first game for the sake of it um and doing that over and over does not add to the quality of your products yeah. Of course, me and Ollie are not going to be kind of these all-watching gods of uh, film reviewing and game reviewing. Uh, it's only on Warwick campus where we, we can, <laughs> where we have been elected these gods. So, um, you know, as long as we're on that campus, our opinion is the final word. Yes. But um, outside of that, you know, you know, we've got to admit that we will have our fan biases as well. Oh, so, yeah. For- yeah, of course, of course. So, um the one most recently for me that I found when I was watching a film, I was kind of embarrassed that I recognised the fan service. It was when I watched the Sonic the Hedgehog film, <laughs> when when they had the when they had the references to the game, including like um, the Green Hill Zone and yeah, when, there was a lot. Of- <laughs> it was the one that the one that I was most embarrassed about recognising was when um, Sonic was in that mexican restaurant because they just have a little break Mm. and at one point he eats a chili dog or mentions about eating a chili dog (laughs) to which um to which you know i i I kind of nodded briefly yeah i was just like yes 
fantastic this was this was the fan service that i was expecting them to have and now they have serviced it so i suppose well done to them for fan servicing it but the thing was was that when tales came out in the post-credit scene i think that's probably the best reaction i've ever had to a post-credit scene i've never been much big into marvels but but tales appearing in the post-credit scene actually made me want to go and watch the second film so if anything i'm probably worse than most people when it comes to fandoms because of all of them to take me in it was the sonic post-credit scene there we are um are there any kind of fandoms i suppose that you would say that you are part of, um, not as far as necessarily part of the community of because i like i suppose the yeah. community is just known for its deviant art and i just don't really want to uh claim i've never looked at any of that and <laughs> no. i don't want to claim or i want to make it very clear <laughs> that i'm not involved in that in any way but fandom like hmm. big I suppose it's like kind of these big franchises that you would call yourself a fan of. Yeah, I think broadly in games, for a while I was part of the just general Nintendo. Um, I mean, the whole console wars, which brand is better, is kind of a such a crazy thing now. When you when you actually Definitely. step outside the industry and think, you're just arguing over which console's better. Why don't just get them all the yeah. same? But I think with Nintendo, that you know, there's a lot of nostalgia, a lot of fan service in there. You know, with every single product, you see a new Mario game come out, or you see any Nintendo game, and if there's a little Easter egg to, uh, or an ode to Mario, or an ode to like a callback to anything, which has been in a game in the past 35 years, you know, people will share it all wide. There'll be 10 articles written about it. It'll be trending on Twitter. Like I just today, I saw you know there was a Paper Mario came out on Friday, and then there's a tribute to a. Well, there's there's one line mentioning which is very much a reference to Breath of the Wild, um, and it's like about climbing, and it's just blown up on Twitter. And I'm like, you know, it's it's just there's a lot of fan service in there, and I think a lot of um, some sort of what Nintendo gets now, like the praise it gets, is just by people who adore the franchise, love the franchise, the company. Um, so I've managed to sort of take myself a step out and be like, Nintendo are doing awfully at the moment in terms of they have no new games coming out. They've not announced any new games coming out. Um, they are just not being transparent with their fans about what they can expect, whether people should sort of be supporting the company, be wanting to buy a Switch or anything like that. Um, I think they don't have any first-party games announced in the future now. There's nothing coming out. Um, and people are just waiting for it. And then there's still lots of people who will defend the company with their life. Um, and that goes for the console war in general. So, James, I know you also have a PlayStation 4 like me. Um, are you part of the Sony, the Sony ponies, as they call them? Well, you know, when I was like 13, yeah, and I didn't know any better. <laughs> yeah, I was. But I've kind of grown up now. And I, I just realized, like, what's the point? It's, it's one multi-million dollar company <laughs> versus two other multi-million dollar companies. I, I, don't, I don't think they particularly care or not no. what side I take on their argument as long as I, well, I suppose they kind of do for the fact that they want me to buy their product. But at the same time, I just don't really want to be this kind of cog in the machine. <laughs> Yeah, you just it's you want everyone. You ideally want them all to succeed. So you have the yeah, best chance of playing definitely. the best games. I think for me, I kind of meme it on my own podcast with um, Hamish because he he very much likes his Xbox, and I just laugh because 
of how he defends the Xbox. Uh, yeah, I do remember <laughs> Hamish making some very suspect uh, takes about the Assassin's Creed Valhalla trailer at the Microsoft yeah. event. The the gameplay trailer, which showed no gameplay. Well, it's kind um, of all the um, the X bots. I think is the word they love. The, yeah, the X bots. Uh, That's the X-bots. So, I love how degrading that is as a name. <laughs> <laughs> The, well, they've got this, the Sony ponies, the Xbox, yeah. and the Nintendrones, or what they're called. Nintendrones. <laughs> That's also yeah. pretty. I think Sony ponies, at least I'm an animal as opposed to yeah. uh, as opposed to a robot. So you know what? I think I'll take that out of the three of them. <laughs> yeah, it's not the worst. Yeah. Um, but they, you know, the, all the Xbox fans jumped to the defense of the Xbox event saying, no, this is what we thought. You know, we saw all, the, all these games look great. Oh, this wasn't actually... This isn't even the main event, you know, we've got the new one coming up next week. That's the main one. This one doesn't isn't really important. It was still had loads of the trailers. And they were like jumping to defend it, of course. And then just this week, um, I think it's Aaron Greenberg, who is the marketing head for Xbox, came out and said, Yeah, our last event was not good. We really messed up there. So you just <laughs> throwing them all under the bus and be like, No, you're defending something you shouldn't. Well, I... And that just sort of sums it up. When you're looking at something from the eyes of a fan versus when you're mm. looking at it from the eyes of a student journalist, uh, I, I don't want to call us journalists straight up because <laughs> we're, I, you know, I think we're we've got a long way to go, right? Mm. <laughs> I'm sure we'll find our peak at some point, and maybe one day we'll be able to ascribe that titles to ourselves. <laughs> but for now, I think it's just a little bit, um, a little bit begging it. So as student journalists, like you kind of want to, well, being wannabe journalists, right? You kind of look at it through the eyes of like, well, how's, how's a journalist going to look? And how would a reviewer, how would a critic like look at these things instead? Do you ever find like, do you ever find that with those things, you, you have much of a conflict with them to, for lack of, you know, I suppose conflict makes it sound a lot more dramatic than it is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I well, so think of a better word. If, I, if I've been, because for my job now I've been sort of doing a lot of news about the Xbox and the PlayStation sort of events and the whole consoles in general and there has been a few moments where I'm like am I being a bit too nice to the PlayStation 5 because I think it's the better console like <laughs> uh or think or I think it will be the better console and I think sometimes I'm like okay so I will take a step back and be like well here's some stuff they've not done very well um but overall yeah I think just if you, as long as you're skeptical about everything, you know, is don't don't think that uh, these companies are wanting specifically to please their fans more than take their money. Essentially, yeah. uh, if you take it more skeptically like that, rather than thinking, oh yes, these are the greatest companies in the world, or these are the greatest brands in the world, you can definitely sort of separate the two. But then at the same time, you know, the next PlayStation event will come out and I will be like, oh my God, Spider-Man looks amazing. And then hey, I can separate we're, myself. We're still waiting for the next Silent Hill, which, um, <laughs> look, uh, well, I you suppose. Never know. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> you never know. It the, might be the next state of play. It might be somewhat encouraging as a yeah as a as an announcement, but I yeah you you know what I'm like. Silent Hill Two is <laughs> the go. I doubt I'll ever play anything that I enjoy quite as much. So I, I think I've given up on Silent of a Silent oh. Hill game just the ever reaching that peak. To be honest with you, um, I've probably been a bit too easy on James Bond films in the past. Mm. Um, but I yeah. think, you know, um, growing older now, and especially when you like look back 
at the um just like politically how bad they are like as representations <laughs> of of women yeah for, uh, oh, especially fully. like fully uh, i spit i think there are a few um racist jokes at odd jobs expense as well one of my mates mm. is like watching through all of the um all of the james bonds in order at the moment Ooh. and um to in, in anticipation for no time to die and you know you get the reports of um what what where where the uh where the standards might be slipping here and there yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of sort of you can look back on things in the past and you're like i thought this was really good when i first watched yeah. it or first played it and you're like why did i think that when you really go back to it so yeah, for me is, it's well, been pokemon games yeah. <laughs> for me the, been, uh, um, the main one for me was looper it's the one film that i know if i rewatch it i'm really not gonna like it <laughs> yeah but yeah you yeah, were saying about the pokemon like games yeah they just i mean some of the, the i don't want to sound like you know a nostalgia person saying the yeah. old ones are better because the old ones are fine just what makes them <laughs> what makes them like good is that if you can take them as games from the 90s or the early 2000s it's good for the what they were then you know there was not many uh games like there are now where these big open world mo-capped 3d 30 hour voice um acted sort of adventures um and so they're you know they're they're acceptable for the time they're good for the times you have your nostalgia from that but you look at the newer ones when you play through it so i played through um, pokemon sword and shield when it first came out in december that's the one based in britain isn't it based in britain i played it and i was like this is okay you know it's a good pokemon game i enjoyed it put a decent amount of hours in um got finished it came back to it when the um the new dlc came out um and just started playing it was like this is an awful game like in terms of gameplay game design graphics the the only thing it has going for it is it's a pokemon game um so you can just look back on some certain franchises and as long as you you know you can be blinded when you first watch something by the fact it's new. Yeah. Like new. Cause there's a, a the adage from uh, how I met your mother, which kind of stick rings true to me. It's the fact new is always better. You know, you will have any new piece of content and people will jump on it immediately. They're sort of so starved of content for their franchises. They'll want to know anything and everything they can. So as soon as a new game or new film comes out, people will go and watch it and they might adore it as soon as it comes out and then just because it's new and just because it's something different to the I don't know the past few games they've had to play for about 10-20 years end on end like that could happen with Silent Hill I'm sure they probably will um, depending on how good the next one is and I think the Kojima side Kojima of it, makes it yeah look if, if it's Kojima that makes it I suppose I'm also you know a big fan of Kojima um, obviously the creator of the Metal Gear Solid games and Death Stranding recently Death Stranding's been a lot more mixed in its reception than the Metal Gear Solid games it's, it's have. Been, it's actually got... Um, it just came out on PC, and basically, since it's just come on PC, all the people who hated it, because it was only on PlayStation, have now realised how good it was. So the the anti-Sony ponies have yes. come out and um, have... have Well, now it's on PC. 
have now like, uh, death stranding such a good game what? gone around to it uh yeah i i i personally think it's a very good game um not just oh, yeah, because of being a kojima fan there are also elements of it that on their own are just really good of course it's like it's got the classic kojima style to it which i suppose if you're a kojima fan you'll completely dig but if you're not then then you completely won't dig it so um play it at your own risk i suppose <laughs> yeah just make sure you have a lot of time for the ending You'll be sat oh there quite a while. That's the uh, worst I did, thing about that game. I did really, no, I really enjoyed the ending, but I thought the, oh, sim- the symbolism, so long. symbolism's a bit on the nose when, when he's like, without you, I am a cliff. You are my bridge. <laughs> 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 Which is just a bit silly and very on but the it's... nose when the dialogue is like, yeah, I get it. I don't need you to explain this fully yeah. to me. Like, it's just, I don't know, with that ending, because it's just a sequence when you're in you're there and you're on the beach and it just takes like 20 minutes for <laughs> anything really to happen as well yeah, and you're just like, walking around and i'm like has the game ended because the credits are coming up yeah i i had no idea at that point as well yeah you're completely <laughs> right the ending's a bit then, confusing then it's like, no it hasn't ended this is just a big 20 minute scene where you can't do anything yeah yeah definitely that that was a bit weird of it as well but like i suppose that's something that for i because of the fact that i have a lot of time for kojima like i i suppose that yeah um, that certainly uh you gave it a pass yeah that certainly means i'll I'll give it a pass ish like even though you know it's not it's (laughs) not the uh the most ideal way to structure the ending of your game i don't think I suppose the two biggest film fandoms of the last decade have certainly been the MCU and the Star Wars uh, yeah. fandoms. The thing, the thing is, is that out of the two, which of the two do I prefer? Is like I don't really like either of them, to be honest with you, because <laughs> I think they. Um, I suppose something interesting, possibly worth going into, is. Um, how the Marvel fandom really, it wasn't really them who reacted as strongly to Black Panther as um, the kind of political waves and the uh, minority communities that Black Panther suddenly um, uh, really vibed with very well. I mean, yeah, if you take it from a Marvel sort of MCU point, it's it's very good. But in terms of a storyline as a base superhero film, you know, it's, it's the same it's as all standard, the other ones. It's, it's a standard right. sort of Marvel. Yeah, I mean, you yeah. know, you have the the classic Marvel or superhero trope of uh, one superhero fighting a clone or a very similar uh, other superhero in a very similar suit. So, you know, it happens in yeah. Iron Man, um, happens in Black Panther. I think there was a few others where it happens oh, as well. Ant-Man as well. Ant-Man, it Ant-Man. definitely happens. I suppose they're yeah. all magic in Doctor Strange, so that as well. <laughs> yeah, all these films have, it's like, it's it's a very easy trope to fall into. Definitely. Um, and well, I suppose even even within the MCU, you can talk about the different fandoms between the individual superheroes and that's how how that's going to affect people's perspectives of um kind of which one's their favourite at that point. It kind of comes down to personal preference with regards yeah, to who's mine, your favourite hero. Mine's definitely Iron Man. That's who uh, is my, always my favourite. Um, my favourite's Doctor Strange, but I wish Benedict Cumberbatch had spoken in his English <laughs> accent. Like, I, yeah, I suppose <laughs> I know how just like really prejudicial that sounds to American accents, but at the same time, I think with how culturally British accents in America seem to just be either villainous or authoritative, I think it would have given Doctor Strange that real authoritative um, 
energy that he kind of has with like you know this wisdom that he has because he's the yeah. the sorcerer supreme or whatever dumb name <laughs> like whatever his something like that yeah because all the superheroes have to have at least one name which is just <laughs> alliteration is kind of silly <laughs> oh, it's, it, i wouldn't say i'm part of the marvel fandom no, i, I would definitely like, not say I, that i was part of it. i like the films like i did go see Endgame. um and, uh, I enjoyed Endgame midnight. a lot. I saw a midnight yeah. uh, thing. It was oh. very good. Yeah. But I'm not one of these people who, you know, makes fan cams of Captain America or the big, it's the big, um, what's it called? Um, Bucky. There's a big fan base. Bucky. Winter Soldier. Winter Soldier. I wish Bucky had died in Civil War. <laughs> I really wish Bucky had died in Civil War because there's <laughs> nothing interesting about a man with a metal like, arm. Yeah, well like, done. I, I didn't really get <laughs> he had what his was place. Done. Yeah, I didn't get what was so sort of why well, I feel so many people like him. I think it's just because they like Sebastian Stan, to be honest. Yes, that's probably it. Um the, but yeah, that like that's that's my nuanced perspective on things is that uh Bucky should have died at the end of Civil War because that <laughs> that film was actually threatening to be um to be, you know, something better than the rest of the Marvel films. I think the thing is, though, is it's just a gimmick having heroes fighting heroes if no one dies, if there's no consequences of it. Everyone's just yeah, kind was, of forgotten that it's happened very little like by Ed Gay. Like, yeah. what, what really happened in Civil War in terms of consequences? What, um, uh, what was a war machine broke his legs? Yeah, and then they just made some special <laughs> technology so he yeah. unbroke his legs. Like, what's the point? That's, that's all that happened. You know, at least, at least Infinity War was not afraid. An endgame, I guess, as well, was not afraid to yeah. kill off the characters. If you hadn't killed off some characters at that point, though, then I think, you know, the fans would obviously love it. But but if we're viewing it in the cold light yeah. of day, it just would have been... I remember finding Infinity War just really boring. <laughs> I thought it was. It was. I thought it was a very good film. In Finch I like. It, I like the group of Spider-Man, Iron Man, and Doctor Strange because Doctor <laughs> Strange is in it. So I suppose this, like you know, this again is just a showing of yeah. Like we Dr. all Strange. yeah. We all have our personal biases, and we're no different, even though we're like taking a step back think... and talking about it. But <laughs> like, what? yeah, I like that group. I didn't really like the others. None of the others. Yeah, I really like the. Annoying. I liked the ending when it was you know, they've Thanos got snapped, snapped and they all yeah, yeah they all went. And I was like, immediately immediate after watching, I was like, what? You know, that's good on them. But then I was like, well, they're obviously just going to bring them back. Yeah, Because they've, they've already confirmed Black Panther 2. That's so, another, yeah, that's a big all... issue with the, the MCU in general is for the fact that these people have like 10 film contracts. Like, what tension is there through the I mean, films? Yeah, there was, Are they in mortal a... danger? No, he signed like a 10 there film. There was always movie. a bit for Iron Man because... Robert Downey Jr. was always apparently like <laughs> threatening not to sign contracts. So I was like, is this going to be his last film? Because everyone was saying, oh, Civil War will be the last film. Then it was, oh, he's just going to appear in the Spider-Man film, then it'll be it. And then it was, oh, he's going to... And now he's still appearing in films from the grave. <laughs> he's appearing in Black Widow now. Yeah. It just doesn't stop. Well, apparently there was a a rumor that in the next Doctor Strange is going to be some way to revive. Oh, for God's sake! <laughs> Tony Stark, which I really hope is uh, not true. They if that his... if that happens and it undermines the entirety of Endgame, then I'm going to have to look back on that film in such a much more yeah. scathing way. Because I decided I've never been much of a fan of it, but for Endgame, I just kind of let myself get taken in by it because I've watched so many of those bloody films and I decided I was retiring from watching them by the end of it. But I suppose now having the four film job, I kind of want to have some veil of professional integrity 
when it comes <laughs> to watching these films. So I'll probably have to start again. Um, when the next one comes out. Yeah, yeah. The sacrifices I make for this job. Isn't my life so difficult having to watch so a Marvel hard. film? Uh, but yeah, that... Yeah, I think that would just completely undermine like any goodwill I had towards Endgame if they bring Tony Stark yeah, back. As, as someone who likes Tony Stark as a character, don't bring if, if they should not bring him back. Ollie is the Ollie is the correct type of fan to be, one who appreciates was, good stories. Like, it was it was a good ending for him. I was sad at this time, but I was like, well, <laughs> yes, it yeah. makes sense. Is it from a story perspective? Did you know, you, Iron Man started yeah. this off. Did you start DMing Josh Brolin saying that you were really upset about his actions in killing Tony Stark? <laughs> yes, that's, the, that's exactly what I, I should. I'll do it now, actually. Yeah. Tweet the, one, yeah. <laughs> the, the, one, the one fandom, I think the Star Wars fandom has to be the one I think I hate the most. <laughs> They're um, just like masochist, I feel like, the, the Star Wars fandom. I think they it's... need to realise that, well, they should have realised from The Force Awakens that the new trilogy was either going to try and pander their hardest to them and not go further with things, or it was just going to be dreadful, and somehow it did both. I mean, the thing with Star Wars fans is, lots of Star Wars fans just don't like Star Wars. You know, they they <laughs> like the first film, they like, they don't, yeah, they like the first film because of the first one. They yeah, like the, the second, second one. Because apparently it's really good. It's like the, the best. The third one, it, they, it's, Return they don't of the mind Jedi, it. it depends on their Ewok yeah. opinions. Yeah, the, the prequels, they hate them all apart from the end fight um, yeah. in the third one. And then they hate all the sequels. And then maybe they like the Clone Wars, I guess. Yes. And maybe the Mandalorian or Rogue One, but not Han Solo. So it's just it's just a very <laughs> yeah, odd suppose... sort of fun where you, you hate most of the stuff in it. I suppose the the only type of other fandom I can think that's on that level of just hating yourself is Doctor Who, and the thing yeah. <laughs> I would definitely, you know, I'm no member of Who Sock or anything, but I do I do love a bit of Doctor Who. I do love all the classic episodes and some of the modern ones as well. But the 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 new stuff that comes out with the timeless child twist and so forth is just a bit mm. too much for me. I've not watched. Uh, I think I stopped watching like a few seasons into the, into the Peter Capaldi ones. I, I missed one no, of those never. seasons and I've not watched any of the Jodie Whittaker I don't, stuff. I don't think I watched the one with Bob, Bobby, Billy, something. Oh, that was that lines. was actually surprisingly good as a series. Mm. Um, the last episode of it, Wild Enough and Time as well. I remember, um, well, the last like arc, so it was Wild Enough and Time and then The Doctor Falls or something like that as a title. Oh, nice. And those that pair of episodes was actually really good. And I suppose this this is just exposes my fandom levels. At the end of that, <laughs> at the end of the second one, instead mm. of regenerating, he sees the first Doctor, uh, played by the guy who played Filch in Harry Potter. Yeah. And then, um, and he's so you know, being a fan of the classics, I was like, oh my god, <laughs> it's the first Doctor! Whoa, no way. <laughs> <laughs> and and so you know that that got me very excited as well yeah um, probably more than tales did in fact um so <laughs> it's quite a high bar we're setting here so you know like it, this is a really good podcast for a real good bit of introspection <laughs> <laughs> you're learning a lot about yourself here <laughs> yeah definitely uh sonic and doctor who are just the two well actually and the <laughs> and the dc films as well um well, the DC comics I used to read in my teenage years. Mm. 
And so the films I had hopes for, but I didn't even watch Justice League in the cinema. I just kind of decided I'd given up on, I'd given up you, on that universe. Yeah. They're not very, I don't know. I've not, I've watched a few, apart from the, obviously the Batman ones. Um, Man of Steel is really good. I actually, I think the fans of Superman mm. who keep claiming, oh, it's just such a, like, bastardization of the character. Well, yeah. It's it's an adaptation. Like, shut up! It's an adaptation <laughs> of the character. Like, yeah, you can say the adaptation is not your Superman, but surely you can just appreciate yeah. it. It's like someone else's interpretation of the character, and I think it's good. <laughs> and I think a really cool interpretation of it, where you know he starts to explore kind of more of the morality of Superman and like his trouble growing up. Um, yeah, I think it's. I, I personally thought it was really good, but not yeah. not everyone agrees with me. No. I think my feelings to the DC sort of cinematic universe can be summed up in the Wonder Woman film when she blocks all those bullets, like they shoot the crowd or something, but like just moving yeah. along and blocking them. I'm like, I know this is from the comics, I presume, but yeah. it just looks stupid in in actual film when you when they were filming. It, I was like, did someone really think you know it would be cool if we did this shot? Because it, it just, I quite I liked did not it, like. To be honest with you, I did not like that shot. I was like, it, it didn't work for me. It, I, I didn't believe. It. I mean, one thing you have to, it's a superhero course, so it's not all believable. <laughs> but I thought, come on, they could have just, you know, she could, she could have been moving out, and all the other people around him shoot the hostages. It yeah. just did not make sense to me that bit. Oh, I, I, only, I only watched the Wonder Woman film this summer, actually. I got around to finally watching it, and it was pretty much what I expected it would be for a, a, a female-led superhero film released in 2017. Because mm. there, there, the, there was the constant, like, to be fair, it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be with um, the amount of times they try and pull the, she's a woman, she can't do this, and then she'd go and do whatever they say she can't do. Because mm. as a plot structure, that just would have been incredibly repetitive. But um, no, there was actually some all right kind of fish out of water humor, and the action in it was pretty good as well. Which I think a lot of a lot of superhero action scenes, I just can't remember for the life of me. No, yeah, there's a lot of lots of it's very similar. You know, some yeah. hit the each gets some hits in. No one really gets injured, then one of them escapes somehow, or, or someone dies. Again. Like, yeah. Um, <laughs> I can't remember a lot. I think the DC, the way those fight scenes have been done, I think in general is actually probably better than how it's been done in the Marvel Cinematic Universe because I can actually remember some of the fights and action in the DC films. <laughs> actually, um, Captain America, oh, I think it's like Bucky versus Black Panther in Civil War when they fight on the rooftop and jump off. Yeah, that, and then they're, that, and then they're running at full quite, speed yes. on the highway. That, that's, that's really cool. Um, yeah, Captain Civil War has some good, memorable sort of big fight scenes. That scene, and then the I do remember the airport scene quite well. That's um, yeah, I thought it was quite quite good. Obviously, there was not much consequences, but no. um, I like as uh, so I like Black Panther's arc in that film, and I think it's something worth pointing out um, is that it's literally the exact same arc that then's redone in the Black Panther solo film, which is a bit <laughs> silly. Like, you guys realise yeah. you've already told this story. <laughs> is Black Panther 2 just going to be someone else challenges him for the throne again? Is each succession of the film going to be there's a new family member or some legal loophole that the Wakanda lawyers find 
with regards to taking kingship that he's got to fight like it's this is a yeah it's a black panther in court that's, to be honest with you i'd find it's a courtroom if it, drama if it was a courtroom <laughs> drama then that would be something actually new for a superhero film and i'd probably watch that out of like some oh i would fully watch that i mean they're courtroom they could certainly pull it off. Oh, um, fully. Yeah, but it would be a bit jarring. It's kind of, so this is something that me and my friend said when um, watching Fifty First Dates together, is there's one bit where Adam Sandler gets hit off a boat um, when it's a storm. And one of us just said, it's, like, it's imagine, imagine if he dies right here. <laughs> the rest of it is just his funeral in real time. <laughs> like, if someone did that, then that would also be quite innovative. Whether it would make for a good film is a different question. Oh, is there such a thing as an Adam Sandler fandom? That's the question. Um, for the fact that I've, I've now, counting it up, I've now seen 19 of his films. If, if anyone is interested in where i am now with uh with my, with, with, I, I think i i think technically i might be a part of it i think there is some sort of joy in just watching it's almost like its own kind of james bond franchise in terms of like how all the <laughs> in terms of how all the tropes are always there and how all and, the characters adam sandler plays are very quite a lot sim, very yeah. similar like the the one that um recently stood out when I was watching Pixels was um there's oh, always dear. a flashback when he's young. <laughs> there's always a flashback yeah. to young Adam Sandler. My favorite one of these ones has to be the one in That's My Boy. Have you seen That's My Boy? I have unfortunately seen That's My Boy. Uh, I love I love the intro cinematic to the, the intro to that because I watched the, that. Film the intro twice. bit is funny. It's very funny. I think no, that's what... I think it's funny because of the fact that you say to yourself, like, is this a dream sequence all throughout? And then the film actually starts and it's him in yeah. the future and you realise it's not a dream sequence and it's the same reaction I've seen from everyone who's watched it where they ask is this a dream sequence and yeah, I'm like oh he actually really did this I find that really funny because everyone always assumes it is then they're always like this is going pretty long for a dream sequence and then the, the realisation suddenly hits them it's not a dream sequence it's, uh, yeah it's oh. it's actually what it depicts which I, I, won't, I won't is... spoil just in case no, just in case no one's seen that film it's it's um andy samberg at his worst <laughs> his worst to be yes. fair there are some scenes of that which are quite funny like when he talks to donny berger um and the the joke about <laughs> when he's like uh I'm, I'm diabetic because of you and he was like what i feed you everything you wanted all the time yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> and he's just like yeah that's exactly what you're not meant to do like that that bit actually is quite funny and i think i prefer adam sandler when he's playing someone who's just like out and out just really obnoxious and it's got some really silly like gimmicks about Random his character gimmicks. like yeah there's always i always feel like the adam sandler films Quite a lot of them can either go into two camps. Either Adam Sandler is immensely rich, or Adam Sandler is immensely poor and trying to scam his way to the top. And uh, it's like there are a lot of Adam Sandler rom coms there as well. You can't forget yeah. Drew Barrymore and Jennifer Aniston as uh, the ones. Oh, uh, I suppose inappropriate like relationships that he has, as in like there's no humanity to them at all. Like I, I my least favorite of Adam of any Adam Sandler film, I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry, where they're. Yeah. Because they're trying to um, commit like marital fraud, he's got to pretend to be gay. I suppose this is another trope: is when Adam Sandler is just like trying to get money from the government, or owes money to the government, or anything involving money yeah. in the government, or money and people. Uncut Gems. That's my boy. I now pronounce you Chuck <laughs> and Larry. Happy Gilmore. 
<laughs> take your pick like <laughs> yeah he just there's a lot of lots of it's all about as i said he's trying to get money yeah. or but then there's or always a, woman. a super or a woman yeah. it's it's yeah. one of those two what is uh, it? In, he's super rich in grown-ups he's super rich in just go with it um yes, becomes he is. super rich in click as well i guess oh yeah and then then it's all a dream at the end which ruins it yeah <laughs> I, I love how worst. yeah adam sandler cannot finish a film well that's my boy finishes by the I, random fact I, I, I found that it really was funny, funny. I found but that it was really like funny it's it just out of nowhere and you forgot it just in, like just kind of how dumb it all is it's, it's just <sighs> He's a genius because uh, Adam Sandler. He's a genius you know. because he has to do no work. Like yeah. he's he's got he his Netflix make deal. Friends. Anyone anyone just watches anything on Netflix. Like we had the whole talk about 365 Days last week, <laughs> and if you take away just the disturbing implications of that film, even then it's a rubbish film. But everyone yeah, just laps it up. It. If I had a Netflix deal with Happy Madison, I also probably just wouldn't work. I probably would just <laughs> shit out like whatever I could think of first. Yeah, and he just makes he makes films with his friends, you know. Has, has yeah. a, I'm assuming a good time with Rob Schneider and the others. I can't remember the name. Kevin James. Kevin James. A whole number. All of Steve the... Buscemi's always there as well. Yeah, I love Steve Buscemi because he always appears in films <laughs> when you just least expect him. He's he's very good in Grown Ups. Actually, I like it. I do like him in Grown Ups. <laughs> Underrated film, Grown Ups. Too not that bad. Film. I I'm not sure if either are on Netflix, but if they are, I'm gonna have to challenge you on that one. I will <laughs> I'll have a watch. But I suppose Underrated is like anything more than half a star, and I suppose you're correct. Like by definition, I mean, it's, the, it's the worst is by far Jack and Jill. Of course, we've got. To... I've not seen Jack and Jill, so I couldn't actually tell you. <laughs> oh dear. So... As a, do so, not watch yeah. that as an adam sandler person who likes some adam sandler films do not watch jack and jill so the thing so what i was going to say with i now pronounce you chuck and larry with the scene in that is so because he's pretending to be gay there's still this like the, their lawyer is this really beautiful woman mm. and at one point they um because he's now the gay best friend apparently they go on a shopping trip together <laughs> and it was one of those things that i hate about that film is like the lgbt stereotypes were just so yeah really he's really not brilliant and whenever they mentioned the f word in that as well i was just very uncomfortable like adam sandler this is really not your place no (laughs) this is not your place to be talking so please don't just he's just an unknown he's an unknown entity absolutely (laughs) um and it's the scene in that where um so she just kind of strips off in front of him when they're back home um because apparently that's what girls do in front of all their gay best friends is just strip off to which um adam sandler obviously stares to which um to which she and then makes some remark about her breasts and she's like what there's not they're not fake to which he's like no i wasn't saying that and she says no you know have a touch of them and it's just like no this is not how it works yeah (laughs) this is this is not how it happens bro this is not okay adam sandler is just he's a host unto himself yeah you know, I don't know what to think of him. Sometimes I'm like, are you a genius? Sometimes I'm like, are you just lucky? Yeah, I think <laughs> it's, I think it's both. He is actually funny. Like I watched his 100 percent fresh yeah. stuff, and he is actually a funny guy. And you know, uncut gems. I suppose the film's kind of built around his performance, so he kind of just does what he usually does. But because of mm. like the direction of it um it's sick it's brilliant and he's just kind of like you know they play up on adam sandler usually playing an asshole by him just being a massive asshole Uh, it's the best (laughs) way to do it 
That's the apex Adam Sandler film right there. <laughs> Adam Sandler is, a, yeah. Oh. I, need to, um, I need to watch some Adam Sandler, yeah. actually. I've not watched him for a while. I always oh, vote you for him. Adam Sandler with drawers, mate. I always, I always vote for him in the Boar's film votes, <laughs> and he never wins. He sadly never wins. I'm so glad that Chuck and Larry didn't win, because I only watched it after that vote, and I realised that we could. there was a high chance we could have just got cancelled, because it is yeah. just that bad with its representations. But, um, you know, on that uh, note of being cancelled... It's time to uh, it's time to end the film podcast today. This has probably been longer than usual for the fact that I've Very not long, actually yes. been I've not actually been keeping an eye on the time. So this could be probably up to an hour and a half, uh, depending on the editing as well. So if you've watched, if you've listened for that long to me and Ollie rambling, then you know, <laughs> well tweet, tweet us and and I don't know, we'll 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 tell you to get yourself some rewards. Um, yeah, I'll give you give a, a list metal. of the best Adam Sandler films. Yeah, then Ollie will give you a list of the best Adam Sandler films. I'll give you a list of the worst Adam Sandler films. And your rewards will be, um, well, your rewards will be being able to watch them. All right, Ollie. So, um, you know, it's been wonderful having you on the podcast. Yeah, thanks thought, for having me. I thought that there might not be enough conversation to cover a whole hour today, but I uh, like... <laughs> But we've well and truly beaten my expectations. We, so thank we love you a good tangent. Much. We, we no, do. Thank you for having me. Absolutely no issue. I'll make sure to have you on again, but next time I will have a clock next to me. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Good luck with all um, board game stuff and everything. How can thank we you. find you on Twitter and Facebook and all those so, yep. wonderful things? Um, you can follow the uh, board games on Twitter, um, yep. just at the board games. I don't know, at board games. Follow me on Twitter at just Oliver Barsby. Very simple and very boring. And then the Warthog Podcast. Um, you can find that also on Twitter uh, at the Warthog Game. I think it's called. Wonderful. Um, and if anyone wants to come onto the podcast or discuss anything films or write up for the uh, write for bore films or just read anything or listen to these, then um, we are at Bore Film on Twitter and Bore Film on Facebook uh, and. You know, uh, you can find these on Spotify, Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Castbox, any any of the leading podcast services, and we will certainly be there for you. So, thank you very much, and goodbye. Bye.